Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious and holy word. And as we open it and uh, look at some passages, Lord, we pray you'd open our hearts, open our minds to receive it. Um, and uh, help me, Lord, to to bring this. It is a it is a fearful thing to handle your word. And I pray that uh, you would give grace and give help. I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I think the biggest problem affecting the people of God today can't be found in this list. Social issues, abortion, homosexual marriage, LGBTQ, pornography, CRT, Antifa, political parties, liberalism, feminism, communism, socialism, many of the isms. I don't think it can be found in apostate seminaries with liberal Christian colleges or charlatan pastors or unsaved elders, perverted deacons or dysfunctional marriages. It's not even in biblical illiteracy or the lack of God-centered programs. These are all certainly big problems that are rotting away our culture and our churches, and it's happening on our watch. But these are clearly symptoms of one foundational problem, and I think it's this, that God's people are not praying effectually and fervently. Psalm 91.15 says, He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. In Jeremiah 33, 3, we read, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Jesus said in Luke 11, verses 9 to 10, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Second Chronicles 7, 14, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. And finally, the verse that I really want to focus on today is in James 5.16, which is the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So we look back over those last few verses that I've just read. Um, clearly, there are promises from God's word that tell us that if we are praying, that we will see some magnificent things happening. And so I ask us, I ask us all, I ask myself in particular, do we really pray? Robert Murray McShane said, a man is what he is. A man is what he is on his knees before God and nothing more. And Leonard Ravenhill said, no man, I don't care how colossal his intellect, no man is greater than his prayer life. E.M. Bounds, uh, who wrote some incredible stuff on prayer, um, I, I, I love to read what he says about prayer, but uh, he has several quotes here that I think are so appropriate. Little praying is a kind of make-believe, a salve for the conscience, a farce and a delusion. God shapes the world by prayer. The more prayer praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil. And he also said, he has never studied God who has not had his intellect broadened, strengthened, clarified, and uplifted by prayer. He also said, prayer makes a godly man and puts within him the mind of Christ, the mind of humility, of self-surrender, of service, of pity, and of prayer. If we really pray, we will become more like God or else we will quit praying. And then uh, another quote from J.C. Ryle, and I say, furthermore, that of all the evidences of the real work of the Spirit, a habit of hearty private prayer is one of the most satisfactory that can be named. A man may preach from false motives, a man may write books, make many fine speeches and seem diligent in good works, and yet be a Judas Iscariot. But a man seldom goes into his closet and pours out his soul before God in secret unless he is in earnest. 
The Lord himself has set his stamp on prayer as the best proof of a true conversion. When he sent Ananias to Saul in Damascus, he gave him no other evidence of his change of heart than this. Behold, he prayeth. So I ask again, do we pray? Do we really pray? Do we pray effectually and fervently? Well, in order to answer that question, I think we need to define what effectual and fervent means. So, you know, effectual um, means producing an effect or the effect desired or intended or having adequate power or force to produce the effect. Ephesians 3, 7 says, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So what? how can we define effectual prayer? I think um, there are a few few items. One would be prayer. effectual prayer is spirit-led. Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I think effectual prayer is God-centered. Matthew 6, 9, Christ said at the... Um, when he was teaching us, uh, teaching the disciples how to pray, the first statement is, Our Father, which art in heaven. So effectual prayer has to be God-centered, and it also has to be God-honoring. Um, Christ also taught us to pray, Hallowed be thy name. And it's also God-glorifying. John twelve twenty eight says, Father, glorify thy name. And what does fervent mean? Fervent, hot, or boiling as a fervent summer, ardent, very warm, earnest, excited, animated, glowing, as fervent zeal, fervent piety. Revelation 3.16 says, So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And if we think about fervent prayer, and, and what would define fervent prayer it's importunate. It's bearing on, pressing, or urging in request or demand, urgent and pertinacious in solicitation as an importunate suitor or petitioner. That's the description given in the Webster 1828 Dictionary. It's with the whole mind, body, and spirit. And Luke 22:44, I think we have such a wonderful example of fervent prayer in Christ when he was in the garden. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. His entire body, mind, and spirit was given in prayer when he was in the garden. It's a wrestling with God. In Genesis 32, 26, we read, and he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And uh, Jacob continues to say, and he called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. Prayer, this is another quote from Ian e. Bounds. Prayer without fervor stakes nothing on the issue because it has nothing to stake. It comes with empty hands. Hands, too, which are listless, as well as empty, which have never learned the lesson of clinging to the cross. Fervorless prayer has no heart in it. It is an empty thing, an unfit vessel. Heart, soul, and life must find place in all real praying. Heaven must be made to feel the force of this crying unto God. 
I think that's a really great description. So I ask, you know, how is it with us? Can we say, as David said in Psalm 42, 1, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God? Do we really pant after God? Or are our lives so perfect and we're so established in our faith and the world around us is such a veritable paradise that there's nothing we need to pray to God for? I think not. You know, why is it that we often don't pray as we should? I think there's several things here, um, time, work, competing priorities. I know that those things get in my way a lot. We don't feel adequate or we don't feel a pressing need. We have a selfishness about our own time, or maybe there's some unbelief or a lack of trust in God that he will indeed answer. Quite frankly, maybe it's pride. Pride in being able to handle things ourselves. And another one, too, it's it's not glamorous. It's not real showy. Um, you know, we're, we, don't, we don't put on a show when we're in our closet praying. Maybe it's that we really just don't want to be with God, and we'd rather be doing other things. I think some other hindrances to prayer is that... Um, we don't come to God through Christ. Ephesians 2.18 says, for through him, we have both access by one spirit unto the Father. Or we are asking to fulfill our lusts or our own comforts or our own pleasures. James 4.3 says, ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. I think also we uh, refuse to heed to God's word. Proverbs 28, 9 says, he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Matthew 21, 22 says this, and I think it speaks to, we just don't have faith. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. So I do have a little section here specifically to the men. Uh, we need some modern day Elijah's some modern-day Daniels. We need some, some modern-day Apostle Pauls. We need men who are willing to stand alone, to stand in the gap for their wives, for their children, for their relatives, for their friends and neighbors, for their nation, and for this world, and to stand before God stripped bare of their humanistic facade, crying out in desperation, knowing full well that only God can pour out the blessing that we so desperately need. We need men who will forego their hobbies, forego their comforts, forego their entertainments, and instead get on their faces before God and pray like they have never prayed before. And to the husbands, we're called to sacrifice our lives for our wives. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There is an entire book of sermons that could be preached upon that sermon or, or, or upon that uh, verse alone. I mean, if you think about what Christ did for the church and as a, as husbands, we are to do that for our wives. I do want to focus in on one point here. The way that Christ continues to love the church is he prays for her. Romans 8.34 says, it is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also make intercession for us. So Christ is there praying for us. Do we pray for our wives? 
Do we do we truly pray for our wives? Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. First Peter three seven. There's a great call to husbands to be to their wives as Christ was to the church. And I think that there's so much that we need to pray for in so, so many ways that we need to love our wives through prayer. Um, in terms of how do we actually go about this, I have just a few tactical suggestions on um, our private prayer lives and how can we be more diligent? How can we be more effectual? How can we be more fervent in prayer? And I'll be the first to admit that prayer is hard work. I think it's the hardest of the spiritual disciplines. Um, I know that in times of fervent prayer, that I've gotten up feeling completely physically and mentally exhausted. And that's a great feeling. But I think one thing that to think about is is structured prayer. I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, with with being structured. And I have uh, a couple of quotes here that I think are really interesting um, from some of the, the men of old. Uh, but when we pray, we are entering into the very presence of God. We're enjoining ourselves, and we're doing spiritual battle with the very enemy of our souls. And if there's one thing that Satan would desire more than anything else, and that's to keep God's people from praying. If you've read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, um, and in particular, number four, uh, gives quite a picture of our adversary's hatred of prayer. I'd encourage you to to pick that up and, and read that. Um, it is, it's sobering. C.H. Spurgeon had this to say, really, about structured prayer. There's a vulgar notion that prayer is a very easy thing, a kind of common business that may be done anyhow, without care or effort. Some think that you only have to reach a book down and get through a certain number of very excellent words and you have prayed and may put the book up again. Others suppose that to use a book is superstitious and that you ought rather to repeat extemporaneous sentences, sentences which come to your mind with a rush like a herd of swine or a pack of hounds, and that when you have uttered them with little, some little attention to what you have said, you have prayed. Um. I think structured prayer is is good. Um, the The risk is of it becoming a rote repetition. Um, but an idea that I have here, a few steps of, and I didn't come up with this myself. Some some very good godly men have uh, have presented this in some way, shape, or form. But you know, entering into the throne room in step one, approaching God very reverently, and remembering who you're praying to, entering in through Christ's name and merit. And asking the Holy Spirit to teach you to pray and asking God to remove all distractions. And then confessing sin, naming sins one by one, being very specific. I think it's important to not sugarcoat them or excuse them because honestly, we can hide nothing from God. God knows us better than we know ourselves. Psalm 69, 5 says, oh God, Thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. And in confessing, asking God for true repentance, because God is the author of true repentance. 
we can't conjure it up on our own. We can't, we can't bubble it up on our, in our own selves. It has to be granted from God. Then having a little bit of silence and stillness before God, again, asking God to remove distractions, working to completely empty your mind and asking for the Holy Spirit to help you and sitting in his presence and just being completely silent before him. As God said, be still and know that I am God. Then moving into thanksgiving, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Thanking God for everything you can possibly think of, spiritual things, physically, physical things, even the bad, sad, and broken things in our world and lives, they've either been, they've been allowed to happen by God. And so we, we must thank him for that. We, we're commanded to, in everything, give thanks. Then having a, a time of worship, for thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God, as it says in Exodus 34, 15. Um, often just praying a worship psalm back to the Lord and dwelling on each verse afresh as you lift it up to God. God loves to have his promises prayed back to him. He loves to have his scriptures lifted up to him. And then moving into putting on God's armor. We read Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, you're putting on the armor piece by piece and asking God to put it on you. Um, asking God to remove your your breastplate of self-righteousness and have it replaced with his righteousness and going through all of those pieces of God's armor. And finally, moving into casting our cares upon the Lord. In 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. I like to pray through a daily list of those people that are closest to me. My, my, um, my family, uh, my friends, my neighbors, myself, and then any urgent requests. And then having a weekly list where on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, having um, folks that I, that I need to pray for on a weekly basis um, can help provide some structure to how you cast your care upon the Lord. So in, in, in closing, I'd like to say we, we must pray. And we must pray fervently and effectually. God has commanded it. Satan wants to get us discouraged. He wants us to quit. He wants us to get confused. He wants us to see the delay in God's answers as something to make us give up. But we cannot quit. I would say that we must pray as if it is the last time that we will ever pray. I heard that from uh, Pastor Mark told me that, to pray as if it was the last time you will ever pray. What great advice that is. And uh, I just add, you know, would, would say in closing that um, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Amen.